0: to have you here with us today in this fourth Sunday of Advent. It's been a great season of Advent for us as a church. We've been going through this uh, series of sermons entitled The Hidden Christmas. It's a global series. We're going through this series together with nine other churches uh, around the world. And I'm just hearing like amazing stories of what God has been doing in the life of our churches uh, during this Advent season. You probably noticed that uh, I came up here wearing tracks, wearing my uh, my jammies, and you're thinking, "What are you doing?" Right? Some people are asking, "Why are you coming to church to preach in your pajamas?" Well, if you haven't gotten the memo, there's a pajama party going on in the kids' building. Okay, so what I'm trying to do is just identifying with our kids ministry here at CrossBridge. I think it's important. But it's actually really comfortable, too. <laughs> I may actually get used to it. And uh, that's, that's what I may be wearing uh, from now on. So you never know. It's really good. Also, Jesus says that unless you become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, it's uh, mind-boggling to me as we uh, ponder and meditate on the passage that we just read That uh, when the angel of the Lord, angel Gabriel, broke the news to Mary that God planned to use her in a big way to usher his salvation into the world, she was still a child, if you will. Many believe that she was 13, 14 years old when she heard from Gabriel what God wanted to do into the world and how God wanted to use her. Many would agree that Mary was the first Christian because she was the first one to believe in the Savior, to believe in Jesus Christ. And so I think it's fair to say that uh, her experience is sort of prototypical for every Christian that has come after her. The experience that she has of belief and conversion is the same one that all Christians have come to experience as well. It's an experience that starts with the grace of God and it arrives at faith because God is always the one that initiates the process and we are the ones that respond. But in this journey that starts with grace and arrives at faith, there are three different stages that she has to go through and every person must go through if they are to come to faith in Jesus Christ. I uh, pray that for some of you, this will be the case during this season. For some of you, Christmas is a season that you associate with a lot of parties, with, with friends and family. It's a time for your family, a time for your friends. It's a time to enjoy good food and gifts, but has nothing to do uh, with, with faith uh, that's completely lived out and experienced by yourself without any uh, uh, experience of faith and deep belief and what we are really celebrating. So my prayer is that you, will, you would encounter faith in Christ during this season as well. And if, if that's going to be the case for you, you're going to have to go through this process as well, right? Starts with grace, and then it moves into fear, doubt, change, or regeneration and then it finally arrives at faith. So let's look at all these five stages that Mary goes through uh, and that we must go through as well. It starts with it starts with grace. I love how the passage starts. We read uh, verses 26 through 36, but in the very uh, first two verses, we read this, that in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man, betrothed engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. You know, God is about to do something great into the world, and uh, he has to select some key players to carry out that mission of his into the world, which is to rescue and redeem the world. And God goes to the most unlikely of places. He goes to the town Of Nazareth in the region of Galilee, a place where no one thought anything good could come out of. And if you don't believe me, you just read the first chapter of the Gospel of John, because when one friend announces to the other that the Messiah had come from Nazareth, the friend's response was, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? So Jesus goes to this town that doesn't necessarily have a great pool of talent to find someone to carry out his mission. And he, in that town, finds the most unlikely of people to carry out that mission, which is this young teenage girl by the name of Mary, who was born in a poor family, who was engaged to this young man by the name of Joseph. I think about this. You know How many girls and boys had come out of Nazareth to change the world? Not very many, I think. And yet that's where the angel of the Lord, it's sent. I'm thinking Gabriel's talking to God, really God, to Nazareth, right? Why not Athens or why not Alexandria, maybe even Jerusalem, but you're sending me to Nazareth? Are you serious? Yes, Nazareth. Because that's how God's salvation comes into the world. And, uh, you know, you may be wondering why, why is that the case? Why Nazareth? Because God's salvation is always birth and weakness. It's not birth and strength. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, he he says this about God's salvation. He says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. The message of Christmas communicates to us that God never bets on winning horses and that he always picks the underdogs. Look at all the people in the Bible that God chose to carry out his mission. Think of David. He was the last and weakest son of his household who was chosen to be God's king for the nation of Israel. Look at Moses. He had a, he had a, a problem with speech, and God chose him to be his voice to Pharaoh. Look at Paul, who was a persecutor of Christians. Look at the disciple of Jesus. Jesus chooses the most uneducated, blue-collar people. In some cases, like Matthew, corrupt tax collectors and people like Mary Magdalene prostitutes to be the first preacher of the miracle of the resurrection. God always works from the bottom. He never works from the top, he always works from the bottom. And that is such an encouraging thing to be reminded of during this season because so many of us feel that we are ordinary people, that there's nothing special in us. And if God is gonna do something great in my neighborhood, if God's gonna do something great in my school, if God's gonna do something great in my family or in my world, He's not gonna use somebody like me. He's gonna go for the talented, He's gonna go for the accomplished. He's going to go for those who do not have a history background like I do. A messed up, broken family of origin. He's not going to use people like myself. And yet over and over and over again, the message of the gospel is that God uses people that are ordinary and that are in the margins. He used Mary and he wants to use you as well. It's not about your strength. It's about his grace. And so as Mary receives that word from the angel. She responds with confusion and fear. We read in verses 29 the following. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Why is Mary Afraid. She's afraid of the unknown. Like, we are afraid of the unknown as well. If you haven't experienced something and you're about to experience that, you're afraid. Like, a couple months ago, I was in the Amazon and they took me to this Indian tribe and they were telling me, like, when you go into an Indian tribe, you have to eat the food that they give you. It's an offense to reject it. First thing that they bring is a bowl of ants. <laughs> Don't laugh, Daniel Ma. <laughs> a bowl of, uh, of roasted ants. And so you're like, oh my gosh, I, I, is this, it, what, what's going to happen? I mean, is, is, am I going to die if I eat this? Is this going to ruin the rest of my trip if I do that? Is this going to be disgusting? What's going on here? I had no idea, right? If you are to go to a culture and a people group that you've never visited and experienced, you're going to be afraid. You're going to be apprehensive. If you're going to start a job, in a specific field that you never worked before, you're going to be apprehensive, you're going to be afraid because you don't know what to expect. We are always afraid of the unknown, of uncharted waters. That's what's happening here with Mary. And besides that, Mary comes from a culture, a religious culture that taught that every time that God came to the presence of somebody, encountered somebody face-to-face, either directly or through an emissary, like an angel, they were in trouble, okay? Something was wrong. So think about it in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, God comes after Adam, and he has a conversation face-to-face with Adam. And remember when uh, the people were delivered from Egypt by Moses, and they're now in the wilderness, and God summons Moses at the top of Mount Sinai, to give him instructions and to give him, which we know are the laws, and uh, Moses goes up the mount and and Moses asks God to see his face, and God responds to Moses in Exodus thirty three. I think, no one has seen my face and lived. So she's thinking, okay, if God is directly speaking to me through this angel, what have I done? She's probably looking at her past. I mean, did I sin yesterday? What type of sins have I committed? Right? She's puzzled. She's afraid. You know what's interesting is uh, sometimes when we're apprehensive, we're afraid about an experience that we've never had, and, uh, and we actually take the step forward, and, and, and you know how sometimes when you take the risk and take the step forward, and, and you're actually surprised because it's actually something that turns out to be quite good, now, and now it, it fills your life with joy and it marks your life, and you will remember it forever. It will change you sometimes as a person. Eating ants didn't change me. It's not like I want to eat ants again, right? But sometimes these experiences will change you. and You're like, oh, man, that's the only thing I want to do from now on. Some of you know that I'm scared of heights. I'm absolutely scared of heights. My wife is a therapist. She tried to go into my past and dig into my past and see where did that start, whatnot. I have no idea. She has no idea. But I'm terrified of heights. I'm, I'm not afraid of many things, some of you know, but I am, I'm afraid of heights. And in our 15th year anniversary We're about to celebrate um, our 20th anniversary next year, so you do the math. Uh, We were in this uh, desert in the middle of Turkey, and uh, she wanted to go up in a hot air balloon. Okay. And so I try to fight it and all that, but, you know, all the things you do for love. So I found myself a couple days later in the middle of this field at 4.30 a.m. where all these balloons were being prepared to to go up, and uh, and you know I see this basket, not bigger than this part of the stage where I'm standing here, and I see this canvas balloon with a torch underneath it, lighting it up and filling it with hot air, and I'm like, man, canvas and fire do not that's not a good combination right here, and I'm gonna be up in the sky, and there's gonna be this, man, this is not good, and uh, she says, no, let's do this. So get into the balloon. And I'm looking for the most center point of the basket, right? You guys stay around me, protect me. So I'll have several layers of protection. Um, And I'll stand right here. And she says, no, let's go to the edge. And I say, no, let's not go to the edge. And uh, she says, hold my hand. I'll hold your hand from here. And then the balloon starts to go up. It's quite peaceful. It's amazing. It's not like an airplane or a helicopter. It's really peaceful as it's going up, very slow and peaceful. And then, you know, I'm going closer and closer towards the edge, and all of a sudden I'm looking down, and I'm having a great time. And it has marked my life. I may forget other anniversaries, but I won't forget that one. Let me tell you that. <laughs> I was surprised by the experience. You know, some of you have been chasing God, or, chasing, or God has been chasing you and been running away from God your whole life. You've been running away from God. You're afraid of God because of who you are and the things that you have done. You're afraid that if you ever have an encounter with God, he will absolutely crush you. And so you don't want to even address him in prayer. You're afraid of stepping into a church. You're afraid of God. And to your surprise, if you were ever to have an encounter with the living God, you would find out exactly what Mary found out. That he is not coming to hurt you. He is coming to heal you. He is not coming to condemn you. He is coming to rescue you. He is not coming to curse you. He is coming to bless you. That's what the message of Christmas communicates to us. And it dispels our fear. And it's because of that that Mary is able later on, as you know, to break into a song of joy and praise to God. Her fear is transformed into joy because she is surprised by the grace of God and the words of the angel that communicate assurance and favor to her. God, through the message of Christmas, is communicating to each one of us favor and grace. Now, the next thing that she experiences is not fear, but doubt. And, you know, doubt is a necessary stage into the process of belief. So in verse 34, after the angel outlines to Mary what would happen and what would take place, she says to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? So she hears the plan, and now she's doing the math, right? She's doing the math. She's adding things up. And she says, okay, now when he was telling me that I was going to get pregnant, I was going to give birth to this child who would be the son of God, there's no mention of, a, of Joseph. All right? So how can this be? And she's like, no, God is putting me in this situation, in this place. It's kind of odd because I've read in our Hebrew Bible that if a woman shows up pregnant in a village without a husband, she can actually die. Why is God asking me to do this? Why is he putting me in this tough spot? So she's asking questions. Questions are going uh, through her head at that very moment. And she's seeking honest answers to that question or through those questions. You know, many of us have grown up in traditions, religious traditions, that we are taught not to question. We are taught not to doubt, right? That doubting is a sign of, of weakness. And, uh, you know, only second class Christians doubt and ask questions when. We forget that in the Bible, out of some of the people that doubted the most, you have the strongest confessions of faith. Thomas being an example of that, who doubted that Christ had bodily resurrected from the dead. And in one particular meal with the disciples, Jesus invites Thomas to come close and to touch his wounds. And after he's able to see evidence for the resurrection, Thomas breaks out into many, what many would believe the greatest confession of faith, my Lord and my God. And so if you're here today and you doubt many of the claims of Christianity, that's okay. We want to be a community that's safe for you to ask questions and for you to doubt. And I want to show you that the people of the Bible had some of the same difficulties that you have in believing some of the claims of Christianity. Mary, Mary struggled with believing in this plan that God was laying out before her. See, the problem is that many of us suffer from chronological snobbery. You know what that is? is that we look at people from the past in the Bible and we say, oh, it was much easier for them to believe in these things because they were not as sophisticated and scientific as we are. Let me tell you something. Jews were some of the last people to believe that God could actually come into the world and take upon himself flesh in the form of a human. It was actually offensive. It was actually blasphemous. So for Mary to believe in that which the angel was telling her, and how she played a role into that plan was as hard or even harder than for you to believe that God could have come into the world with your scientific understanding as a human being. You get what I'm saying? We all struggle with questions and doubt. The human IQ, by the way, evolved, hasn't evolved through the years. It's, it has remained the same, just so you know. Okay? And the human heart still struggles and wrestles with the same issues that it did back then. We're all human. And we're all trying to find our way through life and try to make sense of God and purpose and eternity. And and so was Mary. And and, and that's probably where you find yourself today. So if you're willing to uh, begin with, with answers, as Francis Bacon once said, if you want to start with the answers, you will end in doubt. But if you're willing to begin with doubts, you may just find the answers. And that's what Mary goes through. And that leads to the next stage in her process towards faith, which is to experience change and regeneration. So the, the, the angel... Uh, says to Mary in verse 35, the follow-up thing that the angel says to her in verse 35 is that the Holy Spirit would come upon her and that the power of the Most High would overshadow her and therefore the child to be born would be called Holy and the Son of God. He says, okay, now let me explain to you uh, from uh, from, from God's active work how this will take place. First, his Holy Spirit will come upon you overshadow you. And then the life of God will be placed in your womb, as he said in in verse 31 as well, right? The life of God will be placed inside of you and it will grow and it will flourish and and it will be born into the world. And you know what's one of the coolest things is, remember what I said in the beginning that Mary's experience is prototypical for all Christians? That Everyone that has come to faith in Christ has gone through the same process. That the Holy Spirit first comes upon you and envelops you and places the life of Christ inside of you. If you don't believe me, this is what the Apostle Paul says in Colossians 1.27. He said, uh, to them, he's explaining God's salvation among the Gentiles. He says, to them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of This mystery, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you ever come to faith in Christ, it's because the Spirit of God has been at work in your life, has enveloped you, has overshadowed you, and has placed the life of Christ inside of you. And that's why the Apostle Paul says later, I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. In Philippians. Christ that lives in me. And because she goes through this experience of regeneration, now she is able to respond to God in faith. God first needs to change our hearts from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh so that we're now able to respond in faith. And that's what happens with Mary. She responds in faith. See, uh, in in verse uh, 37 uh, the angel reminds her, actually verse 36, the angel reminds her that uh, there, was not gonna, there was not only going to be miraculous activity in her womb and in her life, but also in her cousin's life as well. Her cousin by the name of Elizabeth, who at a very old age would also give birth to a son, who we know was John the Baptist, right? And uh, the angel affirms that which is about to happen in her, and what's happening with Elizabeth, by saying something that I love how the the uh, the the NIV translates it, and we read it that God's hey here's how you can trust this because God's word never fails. That's what the angel of God says. That's what Gabriel says to Mary. You can you can you can trust that that this is true and that this is will this is what will happen because god's word never fails to which mary responds in verse 38 i am the servant of the lord see what god is challenging mary to do through the angel is to take her hands off of her life and allow his spirit to be at work in her and through her to bring his redemption into the world. Could you imagine if Mary resisted the will of God? Can you imagine if Mary rejected that plan of God? See, for God to do great things through us, there needs to be surrender and submission to his will. And Mary had to learn how to take her hands off of her life. And it's a scary place to be because when we take our hands off of our lives, we don't know how things are going to turn out to be because we have this plan. She was probably thinking about wedding dresses and and her her wedding, uh, you know, ceremony and and the party that they would have, you know. She was already talking to the flower lady and now there's no dress, there's no flowers, there's no nothing, there's just a baby, (laughs) And God was communicating to her through the angel that that child was going to be very unique. It's going to be different, a different experience than every other child that has ever come into the world. See, my wife and I, we have given birth to four children. And to all the four children, we got to name them. Actually, with the assist of the other sisters, you know, we've named the babies uh, but, you know, you, when you have a child, you get to name the child. You get to, you know, as a child grows up, you get to choose where they go to school and the things that they can say and the things that he cannot say and, uh, and, and the things that they can do and the things that they cannot do and the places they can go and the places they cannot go. You sort of have control over your kids. In fact, American parents have a lot of control over their kids. I grew up playing out in the streets, in the slums, you know, with kids, you know, soccer with barefoot I don't see kids living out this way here. You know, we're, it's very controlled environments for them. That's, that's, how we, that's how we raise our children. And what God was saying to Mary is like, this child that you're going to give birth to, you can't name this child. this child. This child comes with a name. You can't rule and control his life. He's going to rule and control you. Are you willing to take your hands off of your life? And uh, the uh, message of Christmas comes to remind us, comes to remind us once again, that God can be trusted. That even though the odds can be against us, God can be trusted. It's okay, right? I know that you don't have a, a husband to give birth to this child. I know that you're coming from Nazareth, and I'm, I'm saying that you're going to change the world. I know all the odds are stacked against you, but God can be trusted. There's a track record. See, God can be trusted because there's a track record for you. In fact, let me tell you something. You have more assurances from God to trust him, to take your hands off of your life than Mary had. Because Mary had to trust him before the baby was born, you can now trust him after the baby has been born. As the baby was born and Jesus starts to live off of his life according to the will of God. He is led by the Spirit. Just read the gospel accounts. Everywhere he goes, everything he does is through the Spirit. He takes his hands off of his life. And where does that lead him? Like, When Jesus takes his hands off of his life, what happens to him is what you fear the most, that your life will fall apart. His life literally falls apart. He ends up on a Roman cross, Crucified. And we, we, we can look at it and say, see, was that worth it? Absolutely. Because unless Jesus had taken his hands off of his life and his life had fallen apart, your life would not turn out for good if you take your hands off of your life. See, because Jesus took his hands off of his life, And his life fell apart. You can take hands off your life and be assured that things will turn out to be okay. Because God is working all things for good. Because you've been brought to the center of his will, to the person of Jesus Christ. You have been made a co-heir with Christ. You are a child of his. And so during this season, uh, that can be Pretty chaotic as you're looking into the new year and the things that you want to accomplish and do and the problems that you have. This is a great season for you to pause and to relinquish complete control of your life to God. Now, I don't know how your life is going to turn out to be next year. I don't know what's going to be the consequences of your decisions. I don't know the consequences of my decisions. I don't know. I don't know how this country is going to turn out politically speaking, in the new year. But take your hands off of your life and take your hands off of every situation and allow God to do his work because I know that his will is perfect and good. And so he's coming to you today and say, hey, listen, just a reminder in this whole story of Christmas that I can be trusted. Will you trust him today? Let's pray. Uh, Father... We are grateful because you can be trusted. We are grateful for the assurance of that in the life of Jesus Christ who followed your will and his life fell apart so that ours would be put together so that things would turn out to be okay. Father, give us a heart of faith And it comes, Father, I know with the understanding of your grace that we don't deserve it, but yet you still love us, you still reach out to us. Father, I know that we have to move through fear and doubt to experience change, but I I do pray that you would be at work in us. And if there are hearts here today that are fearful, uh, Father, that uh, you would uh, surprise them Uh, Father, if there are hearts here today that are doubtful, Father, that you would clarify things for them. And Father, if there are hearts here that are far and away from you, Father, that you would meet them where they're at today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.